Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 39th Blockbuster episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that dodges commander real estate crashes like a Florida mortgage broker. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on the interwebs. My co-host is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, everyone. I'm glad to be here tonight, and I'm looking forward to sharing all of our helpful information with everybody. Our show is sponsored by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. Uh, I think we got a kind of a short one here this week, Travis. What's on the agenda? Yeah, well, uh, so this week there have been some issues with Crystal Commerce, uh, which is a inventory management uh, back end for a lot of online vendors. Um, the result is that pricing data this week has been a little wonky. So we only have a couple cards uh, for segment one, our top movers. Um, and these are, these are, you know, I, I know that these changes occurred, although, I, you know, there might have been some stuff out there that, that we missed. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's been kind of a, an in, a, a week without a lot of great data on that topic. Yep. Um, segment two is our cards to watch, where James and I will be looking at a couple cards that we think uh, will be moving in price. And segment three is our metagame we can review. We're going to look at um, Grand Prix Kuala Lumpur, uh, Grand Prix Providence, which were both standard, and finally, the modern SCG Open uh, Classic from Milwaukee. Uh, so there are three segments this week. Um, so uh, with that said, why don't we hop in segment one, top movers. You want to get us started this week? Yeah, sure thing. So one of the cards we know for sure made a move this week uh, towards the bottom of our list is uh, Gideon Ally of Zendikar, a card we called a couple weeks back as being on the move from 20 to 30, and sure enough, here we are at $30. Um, although I have noticed in the last 24 hours or so, it started to backslide a little bit as people race to the bottom to try to unload their copies. Um, I've certainly got a few Russian copies left that I need to get rid of shortly. Um, but, you know, this card has proven to be the most dominant planeswalker um, of the fall, uh, showing up in multiple uh, decks and deck archetypes in standard. And uh, I don't think it has a tremendous home once it gets out of standard. So you're definitely going to want to move out of this now while it's hitting its relative peak. Although the fact that it is now in standard for an extra six months means that you might have, you know, three to four months uh to keep playing with your playset um, before you want to start thinking about unloading them if you need to. Yeah, uh, you know we haven't seen really much else from Battle for Zenikar move quite as sharply um, after the announcement uh, of the rotation change. Gideon was really, really the one that moved, and I, I agree with James here that you know now that he's pushing close to thirty dollars, I'd be comfortable uh, taking the money and running because you know. We don't know how the, I, I would not, I would expect Gideon to be part of standard basically until he rotates. But, uh, you, you know, you don't really know how things are going to pan out. And it's rare that Planeswalkers hold price tags over $30 for an extended period of time. Yeah, I mean, interestingly, even online, he's going for 35 ticks or so. Um, and that's going to trigger uh, a lot of people that have been holding uh, Battle for Zendikar sets, ho hoping to sell them back to the bots. Um uh, looking to get out with minimal losses, uh, because most of them will be facing some losses. Um, but with Gideon holding up the price uh, of that entire set, um, real bad idea to wait for him to potentially drop, because then that set hollows out completely. Yeah. Yep. All right. Our next card this week is Selfless Spirit. We are looking at Eldritch Moon foil copies. 
They came in the week around 10 or $11 and have jumped up to about 16. I'm um, showing a market price of 12 on TCG. Looks like there's a copy available, two copies for 13 bucks, and then it, it jumps right up um, uh, to, to close to $20. So not a lot of inventory left on these on these foils, at least over there, uh, for about a 50% pickup. Selfless Spirit, of course, is a core card in the blue-white mid-range flash deck that we will see absolutely dominated Kuala Lumpur. Uh, showed up at Providence, not, not quite uh, as much. Uh, but Selfless Spirit has been a part of Standard basically since it was released. It was part of the Collective Company decks along with Reflector Mage and Spellqueller um, back before uh, Kaladesh came out. And it is uh, maintaining its position here. Um, onboard tricks are still good, even if they're obvious. Uh, so... But you know, now that we're really starting to see it leak into modern too, I think is putting some additional demand on those foil copies. Oh yeah, that's that's definitely where this foil demand is coming from. Is people speculating on this collected spirits deck that uh, won the modern open in Milwaukee, which we'll talk about shortly. All right, so next on the list we've got uh, Flicker Wisp, uh, moving from these are foils as well, moving from twelve dollars to twenty one dollars. That's a seventy five percent gain, nine dollars raw. And uh, Flicker Wisp is a card that gets played in a few different de decks in Modern. Um, I play it in uh, Eldrazi and Taxes, which is a, a reasonable deck depending on your metagame. And uh, Fl Flicker Wisp foils um, have only been, been printed uh, the once, I believe, because I think it was reprinted in Commander, if I'm not mistaken, and some supplemental products where foils were not available. So um, on low supply, we're seeing some movement on these finally. Uh, it was in Modern Masters as well. Oh, actually. yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah, and two commander sets, <laughs> um, but, but that hasn't really kept it down. Well, I mean, the commander sets never had foils. Um, no, no. Modern Masters certainly does, but that's an LGS-only product, so the overall inventory profile is certainly a lot less than any of the products that show up at the big box stores and have mass release. Yeah, Flickr was, is one of those cards that, like, I see $12 foils, and I'm like, eh, I don't know if it should be worth more than that. And now I see $20 foils, and I'm like, eh, I don't know if it should be worth more than that. Like, it just, it always seems to be more money than I think it should be worth, so I, I've never come close to it. The card is underwhelming at first glance. You have to really play for it to get a, an understanding of all the disgusting things it can do. Yeah, 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 that's that's quite possible. And until, uh, you, until you flashed out a Valakut uh, in off an ether vial to like stop escape shift <laughs> from going <laughs> going off you haven't lived yeah that's uh that's pretty techy i have to say <laughs> all right next on our list is summary dismissal uh this is the counter spell from uh, eldritch moon that count exiles all spells and abilities um, started the week at a little over a dollar uh and it's hanging around two bucks right now it's kind of picked up some some ground a little bit I believe this is on the back of the control decks that have been doing well in standard and turns out summary dismissals playable in those, um, you know, they're playing anywhere from uh, like one to three copies, uh, probably some scattered in the sideboard. So, you know, the price has just flinched a little bit as people try and pick up a couple copies for their standard decks. Yeah. And these are the kind of situations where you see, Ooh, 67%. That's a lot. Um, but it's like 80 cents and it's impossible to make any money because by the time you sell a $2 card, that's just the time you've put into it, the fees, et cetera, the postage is just going to chew up all the profit. So these are not the kind of situations you want to be trying to make money on and, you know, buying dollar cards, hoping they're going to be $2 is not where you want to be either. But, uh, you know, still worth noting that, uh, this card has found a home, um, on the basis that it really gives it to the team or either works decks and standard. Yeah, you know, I, I've talked we've talked about stuff like this before, but you know, you can buy twenty five cent cars and they can hit a dollar and you quadrupled up, which sounds awesome, but trying to actually monetize that seventy five cents gap 
uh, on paper copies at least is uh, extremely difficult and you have to own so many copies for the profit to be reasonable, to be meaningful, um, that it's essentially, there's no way unless you are a store that you are going to sell as many copies as you would need to make it worth your time. So, um, yeah, I really only, you know, buy in at cards that cheap if I think that they can really, really move. Um, okay. Last up this week is needle spires from oath of the Gatewatch. This is the red, white man land that turns into a two, one double strike. Started out the week at around 250, hanging around 450 now. Um, not quite a double up. I've seen a market price at like 350 or so. Uh, and there aren't too many copies left under $4 at the moment on TCG Player. So definitely some movement. Um, this was really the the only other card. Yeah, I'm going back, to walk back what I said about Gideon. Needle Spires is like the only other card to have picked up any gain, I think, from the um, Zendikar block after the rotation change. Um so, so a little bit of a pickup there. It's also been been seen a lot of standard play. Probably it's more standard play than I think uh, any of the other lands uh, have been from that block. Well, um, what we saw wandering fumarole move like this. Um, and oh yeah, and, yeah, last week that's right. That's and, right. And, it, and it's a it got up almost as high as ten before it backslid a little. So um, yeah, I mean we're seeing some the potential kick in now for oath cards to to spike hard um, if they're in serious demand. And Jeskai have been colors, uh, especially red white. Um, but Jeskai colors have been looking better and better in standard. I mean, we're going to see in the tournament results later that blue-white decks are just killing it, So, um, and they often are splashing red or vice versa. So, um, you know, these are gonna, lands that are going to be in demand. There's not a lot of great um, dual lands, and there's no tri-lands in the format right now. So, um, you know, not surprising that uh, creature lands that give these kind of, both the control decks and the aggro decks um, some reach um, are, are seeing four of play, uh, and in multiple archetypes. Right. Right. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm still, you know, I talked about hissing quagmire last week, so I'm, I'm still holding out hope that that'll, that'll matter <laughs> or, uh, see some good price gains in the near future. Um, okay. Let's move on to segment two cards to watch. Uh, looks like you've got a couple this week, James. So why don't you get us started? Yeah. So one of the cards that's on my radar now is, uh, a card that's pretty key to the Jess Jess guy aggro deck that uh, Jeff Hoogelin took to only 80th place at start the modern open last weekend, but still um, a deck to watch. Um, Jess guy aggro is running four mantis riders. Um, and surprisingly, despite the fact that this is only a few years old, um, sales attrition seems to have been gotten rid of a lot of the foils. There's relatively few foils left online. And if the Jess guy aggro deck is here to stay um, and it does put up pretty reasonable performances, um, and it's, it's an interesting mix of cards because it, it runs a very different game plan than we're traditionally we're used to seeing in the Jeskai builds that have been more about, uh, you know, uh, card advantage and answers kind of playing the control game in a more classic Jeskai fashion. This build is very, very different. It's running four Swift Spear, four Snapcaster Mage, four Storm Chaser Mage out of uh, Oath of the Gatewatch and four Mantis Rider out of Concertar Kier. And then the spells are Lightning Bolts and Lightning Helixes, four Mutagenic Growth um, uh, two twisted image, uh, very techy card against uh, uh, Spellskite and so forth. Vapor snags, Gitaxian probes, and Serum visions. And the whole idea here is just to be riding through um, on the back of a storm chaser mage that ends up being something like a seven eight on the attack with a mantis rider pairing with it um, on the following turn with haste. Um, interesting deck, nothing like it has been seen in modern in, in recent days. Um, obviously, Mantis Rider is kind of going to be a one-trick pony in modern. Like, this deck has to do well for these foils to uh, climb and hold. 
Um, but there's a pretty good chance that, you know, some people are going to pick up the deck and run with it. And given the, the inventory levels, as we've seen them right now, I'd say I have at least a confidence level of seven on this to move from $3, which is what the foils are currently available for up into the $10 range. Okay. Uh, you know, this is a card that it'll be curious to see if this can really make it in modern. You're correct that we haven't seen anything like that in the format before tapping out for three minus spells in modern that... Um, just crack for three and don't really do a lot else uh, has always been a little suspect um, or at least dangerous I should say there's always a threat that someone will either untap and kill you or at least put you in a position that is extremely difficult to come back from so uh, yeah it'll be curious I'll be curious to see if this can really make the push um, but either way I think I think foils are in good shape and I, and I heard that somebody bought out all the non-foils too or at least thousands of them or quite a few I mean there's still it looks to me like there's still quite a bit of non-foil inventory so i don't know who was trying that but there i mean there i would have to think that if you pulled that you you know you could empty the internet and it would probably be refilled the next day because there'd be so many copies out there it's interesting i I think that a card that is assumed to be done with once it leaves standard suffers a massive um percentage of attrition and what i when i say attrition i'm I'm talking about this concept we've, we've discussed a few times um that's near and dear to you know my theories on magic speculation which is that it's not about how many cards get printed it's about how many cards shops have on hand that people have thought might be worth something and have brought into sale um and i think that there's tons of bantus rider foils out there but i suspect that a lot of them have been kind of tucked away into collections and are not going to get dragged out until somebody you know wins something with them and, and gives them a reason to start pulling them um, it's just not the kind of card, given that it was, you know, two or three dollars um, at the point that it rotated, that anybody's going to think to be, you know, plopping down to try to trade in for something they need. And I think that that that's the kind of situation that that leads to low in- inventory. And if you know a, a play spike occurs, um, you know, as Hoogland is, you know, modestly pushing. I mean, he only finished 80th. It's not like he won one or even top aided, um, but he has been putting up good results online with it. Um, other people pick up the deck, low supply. You know, a spike uh, could be inevitable. The One of the things I like um, about the rider, though, is that people often forget that it's not just flying haste, it's flying vigilance haste, which is a really nice quality for a tempo card to be able to slam down, attack alongside the storm chaser, and then potentially block something incoming from, you know, Zoo or some other deck that wants to attack, um, crack back, and get into a race. It's, it's tough to race flying vigilance haste creatures. Yeah. For sure, for sure, yeah. You know, I, I wonder how many creatures you're willing to block with your Mantis Rider, but it is nice that it threatens to eat, so it's tough for your opponent to swing in, um, you know, with their Dark Confidant or something like that because they don't want to, even though you might lose your Mantis Rider, they don't want to trade it, um, and it puts them in a situation where it's difficult for them to attack. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, definitely, it's definitely been better than I thought it would be, like, at every turn. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's... It- it's a lot easier to block with the Mantis Rider if necessary in a deck that's running four mutagenic growth that can be cast for zero and four vapor snag that can return a creature on either side of the table to its owner's hand. I mean, those are eight very neat solutions if you don't have, you know, any of your lightning bolts and lightning helixes in hand. Yeah, that's very true. I, you know, uh, mutagenic growth for sure is a nice turn three. You know, you can save it on turn three, and then after that, you can keep Vapor Snag up. So that's that's a cute trick. I mean, picture the look on their face when they attack with a 4-5 Tarmogoy if it gets blocked by a 5-5 five, five Mantis Rider, and then they crack back again on the next turn. Oh, God. That's gross. Be brutal. Be brutal. All right. Um, so, so tell me yeah, what, was on, yeah. what was on your radar this week. Yeah. Uh, so people that have uh, have been keeping track of whatever garbage I spew out for the last several months 
will know that I picked up a bunch of the Nephilim quite a while ago. So these are the four color creatures from um, from the Gate Crash, the Gate Crash block. Or uh, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, not Gate Crash. Uh, God, what was it? Guild Pact, Dissension. Yeah, yeah, from the first Ravnica block. Right, it was Dissension, right? Because it was um, uh, when they left. No, Guild Guild Pact. I don't know. Apparently, I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> Guild Pact. So it was a series of Nephilim from the Guild Pact. They are the only four colored creatures in Magic's history prior to Commander 2016. They were not legendary, which is why they're not already $10 and $20, because you could not use them as your commander. We are now a good four days into Commander spoilers, and we have not seen them. And I am relatively, I was, I mean, I was confident enough before that we would not see them that I bought a bunch and I am uh, continuing to be confident that they are not going to show up. Now we've got, uh, I don't know when they're planning on dumping the rest of the spoilers for C16. So we have until then to be completely sure. But I do think that a lot, you know, these are back from Guild Pact. So there's not a lot of copies uh, that exist. Um, They were the only four color creatures in Magic's history prior to this. And it looks like uh, each commander deck is only getting one four color commander and then uh, i think it's the only those are the only four color cards that are showing up by the by the looks of it so these will still only be one of two that have ever existed um they're all useful they have varying levels of utility uh your tiller nephilim is the most popular one that uh reanimates a creature from your graveyard to play attacking when you attack with it um, and some of them work with their with their new commander a little bit better than others, but all of them are playable. All of them are useful, and they're all pretty cheap. Uh, you can find copies in the fifty cents to a dollar range, uh, depending on where you're looking and, and the shipping and that type of thing. But all of these could so easily be four or five dollars. I mean, it would be so would take so little for these uh, to really see a pretty strong jump each. Um, and and I think that's and I think once people start getting turned on to these now that they have decks to put them in. Uh, I think that you're really going to see a much larger movement on, on these and, and the rest of the inventory is going to get cleared out. You know, I'm looking at your Tiller Nephilim, which I said was the most popular one. There's a handful of play sets on TCG player. Um, Glint Eye Nephilim, uh, another solid one. There is not even a page worth. So, so inventory is pretty low when you're talking about all the people out there that play EDH. Uh, and I think that a lot of people who, who pick up these decks are going to want want a Nephilim for for each of them. And I mean, that's that's going to drain supply real fast. One of the interesting things with the Commander 2016 product this year is because they are four color decks. Um, this isn't just Commander players picking and choosing specific cards to pick up, possibly dodging the decks entirely like they have in previous years to add to decks that they already run. This is people building entirely new decks from scratch that they've never been able to legally build mm-hmm. before. That's a totally different scenario. I mean, for a commander player to get inspired, um, a lot of these people are like brewers to the core, you know, Timmy's and Johnny's for sure. Um, and for them to get super excited and start building three, four or five decks, that can spike some cards um, in a way that a normal commander set wouldn't necessarily do. Yeah, I mean, when those monocolor commanders came out, I think a lot of people, rather than build around that one commander or the Planeswalker, they just cherry-picked the cards they wanted and stuck them in other decks. But all of these commanders and this partner mechanic is, hey, go build new decks. Like, this is, now you get to play four colors, so go do that. Uh, and, I, and I agree with you, it's going to get a lot of people to build decks. Yep. All right, so I like those picks. Um, one of the other ones that's on my list uh, for the same reasons is Dragon Arch out of Apocalypse, um, a card that has only ever seen one printing. 
um, and uh, quite some number of years ago. And this is a, an artifact um, that really helps the multicolor decks do what they want to do if they're trying to get big, crazy things into play. So it's an artifact that costs five, so it fits in pretty much any of these decks. And then for two and a tap, you get to put any multicolored creature card from your hand into play. Um, obviously a pretty useful ability um, if you're trying to drop, you know, six, seven, eight casting cost things. It lets you do wacky things like drop a progenitus into play pretty early in the game. Um, and the foils have already jumped pretty hard. They're, I, I pulled a few out of the Super Collection last year, and they were going for maybe six or seven at the time. And uh, as soon as I heard about the Commander 2016 concept, I put them aside, and now they're going for almost 20, and there's hardly any left. Um, but the non-foils are still widely available in the, like, $2 range. Um, but there's, you know, inventory is starting to dry up as people tune into what the card's all about. And I could see this easily hitting 10. The only caveat here is we don't know for a fact that this card isn't included in the commander decks. Um, it's certainly due for a reprint since it's never had one anywhere else. Um, and you know, you're definitely taking a risk to, to run out and buy up some copies of this if we're about to get a flood of them. But if it doesn't get reprinted in the, in these, uh, decks that are coming out next, uh, in November, um, it's definitely something that you're going to want to have a few copies on hand, possibly to trade with your commander buddies or, you know, to flip online if it gets tall enough. I, yeah, I like this. I really liked it when you very first, uh, brought it up. I added it to my Puka trade list way back when I still have not acquired one of those. Um, but, but yeah, I think this is, this is a great target and, uh, the non-foils is $2. I got, I might have to just go ahead and buy one at this point. Cause I still haven't gotten any of them. I don't think, and I want to grab it before it gets, uh, bought out from underneath me but you know this especially in combination with that one land that can put commanders into your hand right so it's like you can like sack the land i think to put the commander into your hand and then you can just use this to put the commander back in the play i mean that's and it's yeah. like three mana if dragon arch is already in play which yeah, is be, pretty nasty being able to do an end run around the whole paying extra for your commander the next time is certainly a nice one yeah, and then if you have some way to uh, recur the land and you just keep doing it every turn. Oh, man, you could do this with, like, Gitrog Monster or something in Crucible. Uh, yes. Just play, play Gitrog every turn. So good. <laughs> oh, I never buy one of these. Pause in the show. I got to go buy this. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a ton of commander action going on, folks, so definitely stuff you want to be looking at right now. Um, yeah, I think in, in general, I, I just want to say in general, this is uh, this commander said, I think it's going to push a lot more prices on some uh, maybe interesting cards that we haven't seen uh, like in the last year or two. It's 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 going to do a lot more because this is really uh, a very unique, distinct set. Yeah, agreed. So the last card on my list is more of a modern play. Um, Blessed Alliance foils have started showing up in both main deck and sideboards and a few different decks in modern Um there's very few, relatively few left um, uh, across the various online vendors and purveyors of fine magic products near you. Um, buy price right now is in and around $4 if you can get your hands on some. But I, I think that these foils, as a foil rarit of Eldritch Moon, yet another um, rarit of Eldritch Moon that's modern playable, um, these are very likely to hit 10 to $15 at some point. Um, it's, it doesn't seem to be a four of really anywhere, um, but it's a consistently useful card um, against burn and other um, aggro matchups, the ability to make them sacrifice a creature and gain life um, and potentially um, go the full distance and use all three abilities has proven to be useful on camera multiple times and, uh, I've talked to a few different people that have run it and said that they're very happy with it and uh, intend to keep running it in their in their variety of decks that 
um, are making use of. So I, I've started picking up copies in that uh, $350 to $450 range. And uh, I think we'll be happy when these peak over 10 within the next few months or so. Yeah, quite possible. I mean, these these Usclate spells have been um, more useful, I think, than we may have initially envisioned. And I say we as like a collective magic plane, we. So, you know, a couple bucks for a standard foil, you know, it's uncommon, but it's it's clearly very strong. Uh, could definitely could definitely see some price movement. Oh, yeah, you're right. I said that was a, a rare, didn't I? My mistake. It's a, it's an uncommon, folks. Um, and yet still, um, we've seen foil uncommons like Lingering Souls peak over $10 before, especially when they were from small sets. God, what was Stoke the Flames? <laughs> that, that had to be like $20 I mean, foil, right? Like yeah. even the non-foils, I think, were like 7 bucks at one point. Stoke the Flames is more of a, you know, it's everywhere in standard smuggler's copter kind of play. But yes, um, that was yeah. definitely the, you know, the, the, the pinnacle of uncommon success in standard. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay, so that brings us to segment three, our metagame we can review. Uh, we have Kuala Lumpur and Providence, which are both standard Grand Prix. So let's start there first. The story of Kuala Lumpur was blue-white. Uh, there, there is no other narrative to that event. Six out of the top eight were blue-white mid-range flash decks, so spell quality, reflector mage, some Abyssin, all that good stuff. Um, it did not have nearly the the appearance in Providence that it did in Kuala Lumpur. We only saw one copy over at Providence. Providence's uh, was was dominated pretty heavily by Black Green Delirium with four copies of Delirium in the top eight over in Providence, which appears to be the prey, or I should say the predator of blue-white. Um, but very clearly, I think we're seeing those two decks uh, come out strong as the top two contenders in the format with, with vehicles sort of floating around, uh, you know, in third place. Um, kind of kind of rounded out both top eights there um so what do you what do you think of these two events here james yeah i mean <laughs> as you said uh blue white uh flash decks are definitely the decks to beat in standard right now um providence was a little more heartening in the sense that we got a a, a greater mix of of uh, uh archetypes we had the red white vehicles as you said in third multiple black green delirium decks um and black red aggro made a showing in fourth uh, and a red-white vehicles deck uh, again in sixth. So I mean, those are the you know the four decks. Mardu and, and red-white vehicles both seem to be viable strategies. Black-green delirium is kind of like the only surviving deck from last season that's been updated and is doing well. Um, and then the the blue-white flash lists um, are definitely the deck to watch moving forward, especially because a lot of the cards in the blue-white flash lists are doing well in modern as well. I mean we. We now have blue-white cards that were top eighting in two different formats that were just printed in Eldritch Moon, and then in in the form of Spell uh, Queller and uh, Selfless Spirit, they're both often run as a four of. Um, that's the kind of scenario where you can see um, foils, especially, peak into the the twenty thirty dollar range um, for a foil rare when it's seeing heavy play as a four of in winning decks. People start doing well with the deck, and the deck is consistently good. Um, then they might actually buy some standard foils occasionally. Um, and the modern players certainly aren't shy about acquiring foils if they think the deck's going to be around for a while. Um, so th these are all cards to be watching, um, these crossover cards from standard and modern. Um, and especially because I think Eldritch Moon sandwiched between a couple of sets this summer probably sold less than it should have, um, which was almost certainly part of the story that led up to the standard season being extended back to 24 months for fall sets anyway. 
So uh, a, a little bit of a more interesting story out of uh, the SCG Open in Milwaukee, which was modern um, last wait, weekend. Wait, wait, I want, I want to say more here, James. Okay, hit it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> last week, last week I was talking up Grim Flare, um, and I was very heartened by these results because we really saw Delirium come out strong this past weekend. Um, and I know you had talked about the foil weeks and weeks ago. I was I brought up the non-foil this past weekend or past week because I thought it was strong. Uh, and, and you know, the number of copies under $20 is thinning out a little bit. And this is really showing us that Grim Flare is going to be right there through the thick and thin for a while. So, um, you know, if you don't, if at the very least, if you don't have your play set and that's a deck you're interested in playing, I think it's worth picking some up. And I do think there, there could be some profit to be had there. Uh, you know, I would not be surprised to see that card at 25 to $30 at some point um, it, if only for a short period yeah, the jund and abazan lists are currently in a pretty bad spot in the metagame and modern as we're going to see in this next part of the discussion but at some point that corner sh- will likely be turned um and when it is uh grim flayer is likely to find a permanent home um in some top eights and it's worth noting that as of tonight cheapest floil on tcg player shipping included is about 33 bucks and then everything else is 40 plus so back when we called this, you know, when I was picking these up in the like fifteen dollar range, um, certainly feeling good about those decisions. And you know, we'll see how far this can get pushed, and whether um, both Black Green Delirium and Jund and Abzan vis-a-vis Modern um, can put up some results in the next few months and keep the price price tag on this card high. Yeah, I, I um, you know, even if it's not doing that great in modern abzan isn't doing that great in modern john john and abzan aren't doing that great today uh it's modern they will be back you know tarmogoyf thought sees abrupt decay is liliana it's just good right it's not gonna it's not always gonna be bad eventually they will they will come back uh we've seen it time and time again so um just consider this <clears throat> a cycle <laughs> sure they'll be back Fair enough. So speaking uh, about top eights and modern and what's actually doing well in that format, we had uh, Caleb Durward, um, the you know well-known Magic uh, online streamer who's been playing a lot of this Collected Spirits deck, showed up at the Open and took the whole thing home um, with a build that is you know reminiscent of what the blue-white decks are doing in Standard, but if they had access to an even better card pool. Um, these decks are still running uh, four Selfless Spirit and four Spell Queller, as, long, as well as four Rattle Chains, which is the other part of that triumvirate of Ghostly Spirits, um, along with two Phantasmal Image and four Noble Hierarch, yet another deck running four Nobles, which explains its current price tag, um, and four Drog School Captains. Um, this was going to be one of my picks this week, at least the foils, but they have almost entirely dried up and I, I can no longer recommend them in good conscience since they're somewhere in the 15 to 20 dollar range which is pretty expensive for uh, uh, a foil uncommon um uh out of i believe uh it wasn't out of innistrad it must be out of um oh uh, wait which card were you talking about uh drug school captain dark wait, ascension yeah that's the one uh, it's also running three Geist of St. Traft and uh, believe it or not, it's two Steel of the Godhead. Um, this is a card I run in my Xur the Enchanter deck in L- EDH. Um, this is two f- and a white or a blue. 
um, mixed mana. As long as enchanted creature is white, it gets plus one plus one in lifelink. As long as it's blue, it gets plus one plus one in unblockable. So this lets you set up your Geist of Saint draft to be a four four that makes a four four flyer and has lifelink and unblockable, um, which is a pretty nice place for your Geist to be, given that the only danger with that card is usually that's going to get blocked by something good. Um, I ha- I have to imagine that that card gets cut. Like if if collected spirits is real, still the Godhead can't possibly be a real part of that deck. <laughs> like well, i mean it, the card, it just strikes me as so cute <laughs> well yeah it's definitely cute um i i haven't heard any commentary from caleb whether he he thinks it's a must-have or not um it certainly does a lot of work in here especially because drug school captain can also give hex proof and you've got selfless spirits and rattle chains that can act as um deflection for kill spells um so the steel of the godhead doesn't necessarily need to be on the geist of saint trap for it to be effective that's definitely one of the points in its favor if you want to talk about cute though the, the, he was also running a rocks war monk in his sideboard this is a three four life link creature for bant um literally green white blue um which i'm assuming is against the uh, burn matchups um Definitely a card I haven't seen in, in Standard 2 recently. Worth noting, though, that he was running two Botanical Sanctum, so we're seeing these fast lands out of Kaladesh um, be put to use, usually as a as a two of um, in the variety of decks that want them. Um, that's definitely worth keeping on the radar since the foils um, have made some movement on the blue-green version and the Spire Buff Canal, the blue-red version, um, but they might get lower as we get closer towards the holidays and we uh, surpass peak supply and get into the the period where people are dumping cards to try to pay for Christmas gifts. Um, So something else to be keeping in mind. The rest of the field was ad nauseum in second, dredge in third. Dredge was a very heavy presence at this tournament and, and the deck in general is looking almost too strong. Um, uh, Cathartic reunion, letting them dump, uh, pick up three cards after dumping two is just looking (laughs) A little too good. Um, and I'm curious as to whether Golgari Grave Troll will be in danger uh, of uh, going back on the banned list at some point. Valakit was in fourth. Affinity at fifth. Um, Bushwhacker Zoo, a version of Zoo that we haven't seen uh, much of in modern for a while. This is a, uh, a Zoo version that runs um, Experiment 1 and Gore Clan Rampager. Um, alongside Reckless Bushwhacker, and then the usual suspects like Wild Nactyl, Tarmogoyf, and Curd Ape, and Goblin Guide. Um, but these kind of like double Burning Tree Emissary into a Tarmogoyf kind of turns um, have always been exciting to me. So I thought it was cool to see that deck doing reasonably well. Dredge again in 7th, and then a pretty interesting blue, uh, white, red uh, Jeskai mid-range build um, finished in 8th. This was uh, in the hands of one James Johnson, uh, and he was running an Aven Mind Sensor along with four Geist of St. Traft and yet another build. So that, I mean, if we're going to have two or three different archetypes running Geist of St. Traft, then definitely a card you want to keep your eye on. This build is also running three Spell Queller, um, four Snapcaster Mage, and a Vendillion Click. And they were even running a single copy of Iganjo Castle, um, a card out of the Kamigawa block that can prevent two damage to a legendary creature, um, which seemed kind of cute. Um, Iganjo Castle's been around for a while. Yeah. Like every one of these Just Guy lists plays one Iganjo Castle because it's essentially a free roll and it helps save your uh, your Geist from Pyroclasms. 
Yeah, because people forget Vandalian Click is a legendary creature, and Geist of Saint Traft certainly is. Um, and then they were running. This was more of a controlish shell, very different than the Hoogland aggro build. This was two Cryptic Command, uh, still the four Bolts and four Helix, but two Mana Leak, four Path, two Remand, and a Spell Snare with three Serum Visions. Um, I mean, there's a tremendous diversity in modern. Um, but I'm not sure that that we're playing that I think that the chief complaint with modern is still that there are so many linear decks running around that are just trying to drive 20 points to your face before you can do anything about it. Um, and it just leads to there are certainly some games that are masterpieces of interaction, but there's a lot of games that are the complete opposite. I mean, some of the dredge games I saw on camera last weekend were just abysmal for the, their opponent where they're just kind of sitting there staring at them fondle their deck at one point one of the one of the play, dredge players had their entire graveyard laid out across the board and was kind of like picking and choosing various cards to manipulate um and it was just the the most serious form of mental masturbation yeah uh the dredge is certainly the most uh, egregious offender in the, of that nature right now. I was actually just looking at cathartic reunion foils are like in the three to four dollar range. I think those are probably a pretty good pickup because um, that is the best type of that card we have seen uh, in a very long time, possibly ever, and probably will be for quite a while. Uh, discard two, draw three is just a huge amount of churn. Um, so, you know, this is a comment from the current set. So it seems kind of crazy to say that $3 and $4 foils is worth a buy, but I would not be surprised to see this card upwards of seven or eight. Um, but in general, dredge is definitely, uh, it probably, probably the, the most endangered of the archetypes at this moment. I could definitely see Golgari Grave Troll getting put back on the boundless at some point. Um, you know, it's not... It's not dominating the format. It's not Eldrazine us, uh, but it is pretty miserable to sit down and play against. So I can understand why Wizards would come back. You know, they might ban Golgari Grave Troll and be like, look, this deck isn't like dominating, but it's really good. And the type of magic that it plays is just sucks. Nobody wants to deal with this. So we're just kind of getting rid of it. Um, although it is worth noting that one of the dredge players was Kent Ketter, who may or may not have been cheating. So... <laughs> So maybe maybe that's part of the reason why they did. I well. mean, la- last week I was calling for saying Infect looked too strong, and you know, two weeks before that it was some other deck. The at some point it was Affinity. I mean, I, I think that the reality is that if I had to guess between two or three cards getting banned in Modern this year versus Modern getting refreshed completely as a new format in two years, um, I, I would take the two year let we get a new format thing. Um, having fooled around with frontier decks this week, um, I can definitely say that fresh formats are a deck builder's paradise and nothing moves cards out of, um, your local game store, like a brand new format that everybody has to switch over to. Um, especially if most of the cards in their modern collection still come along for the ride. Well, frontier is, is a nifty idea, although I have to imagine the fact that they're, is relatively almost nobody playing helps add to that sort of freshness and virility that you get when you sit down to it today. Uh, you know, if that was an official format for just one pro tour, I think you'd very quickly find it was, was reasonably shallow. Uh, yeah, you know, we could, we could see a reset on modern of some sort. I don't know, but you know, I, I could see them ditching cathartic reunion and, uh, become events this year to kind of loosen up the whole, ultra linear space who knows 
Um, things to think about, folks. Try to plan out where where magic is going in the next two to three years, and you'll be ahead of the game. Um, otherwise, I think that's pretty much it for us this week, everybody. Um, where can people find you online? Yeah, this Travis? is close to the fastest show we've ever had, and mostly because, mostly because the inventory tracking software was broken, so we couldn't get any good price data. <laughs> Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via my weekly articles on MTGPrice.com. And I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the MTGPrice.com Pro Trader service for just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. And I am Travis Allen, Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N, over on Twitter. I write every Wednesday for MTG Price, and I'm on the mostly weekly webcast, Cartel Aristocrats. And uh, thanks for joining me this evening, James. Thanks, Travis, and we'll see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm.